here. Uh, just want to quickly share with you. I don't know uh, if you've been following the news. Obviously, the weather that devastating uh, in Kentucky and really in the Midwest and in Kansas, Lorna uh, Pelton, uh, her son's father, uh, devastating fires up there. And, you know, we live here and, uh, you know, the truth is we begin to examine the world we live in. You know, we're, we're all connected at some level. And so tragedy strikes and, and uh, we should always be moved to prayer and uh, concern and service in those areas that we can help. So just want to bring that to your attention this morning. So uh, real quick, we got to, at the read your bulletin. They have the last uh, play for our Christmas Eve service next week. Starts at 530. Uh, been a lot of work put into a, a nativity skit for the lots of uh, folks and kids involved in that. We're looking forward to an opportunity to really uh, worship God. And what a great opportunity we'll have here. And that's Christmas Eve, 530 uh, that uh, Saturday evening. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, on your handout, you'll notice uh, that and I'm not going to revisit that. I preached last week. In the first 12 verses of chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, you have, you know, we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-inspired for uh, reproof and rebuke and the training of man and of righteousness. Uh, so we believe that all Scripture, Genesis through uh, revelation is infallible, it's irrefutable, it's without flaw, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when you read just those first chapters, those introductory statements in Colossians, uh, if you read all of the introductory statements at Paul's letters, if you, if you started in uh, uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, uh, all of his introductory statements, there's some similarities to them. But in Colossians, in this first chapter, if you were just going to do a study on the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the leading, the guidance, the, the teaching, uh, uh, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, uh, you can find all of that in these first 12 verses of this chapter of, in Colossians. And so what I did just last week, and again, I'm not going to recap it, you have it, there's, you'll see the contrast. If you look at all the things that Paul says to the Colossians, in, the Christians in Colossae, as he's this introductory statement, they're all spiritually inspired. You can then contrast that, and I read from the New American Standard, you can then contrast that with what the flesh the earthly, the worldly would be versus the spiritual, the, biblically, the biblical, uh, and really for the Christian. So I'm going to read those verses again, just all the way through verse 9. Uh, so again, Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I'd ask this morning, for this morning's sake, if you want to highlight that word praying right there. So uh, again, we give thanks uh, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing 
even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Now, highlight this, this statement about prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that verse 3, praying always for you, and then verse 9, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So uh, just a real quick test for you and I. Uh, if, if I ask you, and I did ask the youth group this morning, their answers were really good. It's good to have Clay back. Clay is always, he's spot on and he doesn't mind uh, speaking. And so that's good. Uh, so I had really four uh, areas that we discussed this morning. So, but asking you, uh, uh, the, uh, if I asked somebody that was really close to you, a spouse or your children or your parents, uh, it, what drives you? What is it in your life that, in the word I, I'm going to use is cease. Now, cease means stop. So, uh, we're going to look at some scripture. Well, the one is we don't cease. We don't stop to pray for you. Paul writes the Thessalonians that we're to pray without ceasing. So, but I'm going to ask you, uh, in your own personal life, if you, you, you were honest, if you thought about it for a moment and say, well, okay, what is the thing that you do a lot of? You just do a lot of it, whatever it is. It could be anything, but you just find, I do a lot of this. I do a whole lot of this. In fact, I don't cease doing this. This is something that I do a lot of, and, and, and yeah, it's who I am. It's what I do. The second is, uh, what are you fervent about? What are you passionate about? They're all, these things are married, but if I ask you, what are you passionate about? The, the word I'm going to use this morning, and we'll refer to a passage in James, but what are you fervent about? What are you passionate about? What do you do a whole lot of? What are you passionate about? And then this one, um, what's an area in your life, or maybe you have several areas in your life, where you're just right about it? You're just right. I'm right about this. I am. I'm going to use the word justified. That's the scriptural word. But I, I have, I'm right about this. I'm right. I'm sure I'm right about this. And then... Uh, who, if you were looking at your life, the totality of your life, so whose way, whose way is getting accomplished in your life? Now, think about that. So I shared with the kids, and I don't know where I heard it. I've said it up here before, but uh, when I was, uh, I had to have been around 14 or 15. Uh, I and I know I heard it from somebody, but I repeated it for about 10 years. I'm ashamed of it now, but when I was young, I thought it was pretty cute. I used to say, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want. That's the way my life. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want. And so talking to the young folks this morning, uh, you know, I said, who, who establishes what you want to do in your life? And, of course, the kids say, well, Hannah, you know, Mark, Shelly, you know, you got people at school. You know, but is it what you want to do? The things that they want you to do, 
You know, is that, no, it's not what I want to do, but I have to do it. You know, if I don't, I get in trouble. Okay, that's good. But if, if you had a choice, the things that determine the way and what of what you do in your life, what's, who and what is the determining factor of that? I mean, is it just you? I, I do pretty much, I do things my way. I do it my way. What if Frank Sinatra had that song, I did it my way. And, uh, and we do have this strong sense of personal independence in this country. And for me, it manifested itself <laughs> in my life as a young man. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want. So I just want you to consider those. Now, the struggle that we all have if we're a Christian is my way, my flesh, versus God's way and the Spirit of Christ. That's it. And I've said before, I think this is a lifelong journey. I think from the time that God saves us and that moment where God brings us to that point through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of God's Word, the circumstances that He creates in our lives, that He, he brings us to that point. He saves us. And, and it's, it's by His grace, through His faithfulness, that He saves us. And I think from that point on, all the days of our life, we're in this constant uh, state of flux where my flesh is wanting one way and the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God is, well, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We're told not to, but that Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us, teaching us, uh, encouraging us at times, disciplining us at times as, as God has saved us, making us a spiritual person, a person with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're at war with our flesh. We just are. And I think there's a great hymn where it says, more of thee and less of me. Now, I want you to consider those four dynamics. There's one other, but this cease. Now, he says, he says again in verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, their faith, according to the truth of the gospel, We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul makes this tremendous statement to the Christians in Thessalonica. He's ending the letter and it really mirrors and this goes, falls right in line with this teaching, this spiritual teaching tenant about, he says, we've not ceased to pray for you. And listen to what he says here. Uh, verse 12 of chapter five, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. So it's the message of the church. We, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions. That's the spiritual leadership that God has established in the church and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. It's quite a list, isn't it? This is a spiritual list. Christians, two Christians, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. 
In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. I remember the first time I came in uh, conflict with that passage. I think for years I just kind of read over that passage, but um, there was a time in my life I came into conflict with that passage, and the conflict was, you can't, we can't pray without ceasing. How can a person pray without ceasing? And then I thought about being given the gift of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, being taught, led, guided by the Holy Spirit, sometimes grieving the Holy Spirit. And then I thought about when my walk began with the Lord, when I can tell you God saved me. I Listen, I'm sure at this moment, at this time in my life, God saved me. And from that point on, charting that down, just said, just, okay, hey, examine yourself from the time that, <laughs> up until God saved you, and then from the time that God has saved you. Chart your life. Examine yourself. And what I've come to learn many, many years, I believe that it's possible. Now, I won't challenge you. What do you do without ceasing? What do you do a whole lot of? It just comes natural and easy to you. It just does. Maybe it's work. Maybe the thing that you do a whole lot of is you just work. You just work. My dad was as fine a man and is a fine, as fine a man as I have ever known. He embarked on a career with IBM in 1963, and I will tell you he worked for them for 30-something years. Um, and, and my dad was as honest and a hardworking man as I have ever known. He worked. And, and he worked. I know he would always leave the house before we were up, and he would get home, and it would be in the evenings. It would be dark. I remember he had to travel quite a bit. We were always provided for. We were always provided for. I know we never had to worry about where a meal was coming from or what we were going to wear. The house was cool in the summer and warm in the winter. Pantries were full. But my dad worked. And, and, and he was committed to that job. Uh, not only was that the thing that he did most in his life, he was fervent about it. That, that's not, he was fervent. He was passionate about it. He was so passionate about it, he had great success. He started out with, uh, with uh, he didn't even have a college education. He ended up uh, 30 years later at IBM as a consultant, one of only 17 in the world. It's not about my dad, but the point is I watched him. He took a test in San Antonio. Uh, he had been encouraged to go take it this new company that was starting IBM. I had to think about him as I was going through this study. And uh, he finished the number one. I don't know how many hundreds had taken this test, but he didn't have a college degree. Years later, he became a consultant for IBM, one of only 17, and he is the only consultant uh, that at that time, maybe there's been one since, that ever made a consultant, a worldwide consultant uh, with IBM that didn't have at least a PhD, and he didn't even have a college education. He'd been on the cover of Think Magazine twice. This is my dad. Well, let me tell you what. That's because not only did he commit to his work, and he did a lot of it, but he was fervent about it. He was fervent. He was passionate. Rusty, I was seeing you were sitting up here talking about, you know, the opportunities that God has given you to, you know, have a career and support your family. 
You know, I've been over that day. You're, you're passionate about what you do. You know, if the truth, and listen, when we commit to do a whole lot of something and we're fervent about it, we usually have success, don't we? It's just true. And then the other thing is we can become justified in it. What I, well, we're right about it. I, listen, we have, a, we have a standard. You know what? I, I believe this. If I work hard and I'm honest and I'm dedicated and I'm passionate, you know, here's what's going to happen, and I'm right about it. And my life can prove it financially, work ethic, you name it. Morality. So all of this is tied together, and so we'll do it in our life. We'll commit. We'll, I'm going to do a whole lot about this. I'm going to be fervent about it. I'm right in doing this. But what about prayer? Prayer. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe this with all my heart. The more I pray, the more I pray. The more I'm in God's word, the more I pray. The more I pray, I'm in God's word. And let me tell you something. I become fervent about it. And what happens then, I'm going to challenge you. The scripture challenges you. He makes a statement. He said, we don't cease praying for you. We heard about your faith. We heard about the knowledge that you have. We heard about you understanding the grace of the truth of God's will and the gospel. And because we don't cease praying for you. Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Where are you in your Christian walk? How much of your prayer would you connect to the statement, I don't cease and without ceasing? Think about it. Now, again, as you begin to understand that and you begin to live your life according to prayer and God's word because of the spirit of Christ in you, something happens. And it's, it's indomitable. It, it, you can't. So what happens? All the circumstances in your life, good and or bad, you immediately make a connection between God's word and prayer. It's an ongoing conversation in your head and your heart. Now, this is the way God intended for you and I to live in our Christian walk. I don't care. I'm in a deer blind with David Calenbrake this last week. You there. I, listen, there was a time when I was in the deer blind, just couldn't wait. I, that feeder's going to go off. I, I'm, I'm going to shoot a buck. And, oh, maybe some of that. But now I'm in the blind. The sun is coming up. I see the changing of the season. I hear the birds I love listening. You could hear the leaves falling, and you're just reminded of just what the Scripture says, that the invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation. And, and instead of thinking in my flesh or carnally having joy hunting, I'm led to pray, Lord, God Almighty, thank you. The beauty, the power, the omnipotence, the things that I'm not. Listen, this is everything that has life. The breath of life in it is because you put it there. Everything. The seasons that change. The stars that are hung in the, in the universe. And so there's a circumstance. But it could be anything. It could be a tragedy. It could be a fight with your spouse. The carnal flesh in me I won't cease trying to justify myself in an argument with my spouse because I know I'm right the spiritual man 
will be led to prayer because the Scripture says, according to God's will, husband, love your wife the way Christ loves the church. Now I need to pray for my selfishness and my pride and my ego. Seriously. So he says in this statement, and there's this measuring point, that you and I as Christians, and I've only given you a couple of examples, I'm to pray without ceasing. And it has everything in the world to do with returning insult for insult and evil for evil and being in conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ and not humbling yourself. The most powerful weapon we have in our spiritual arsenal is prayer. The most powerful weapon we have. I, I, again, I always tell you I don't believe in coincidence. I was reminded twice this week. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I, I happened to just a couple of dear uh, Christian people in my life. I was in their presence this week. And uh, one of them has been uh, some fraudulent. Well, I'm, I'm sure fraudulent. Negligent at best, uh, disrespectful. Uh, things have been done um, in a business environment by somebody that was trusted. And so seeing the other side of that, though, and listening to faith and the Holy Spirit, understanding the power of prayer, and the power of God's word and the power of prayer and God's word and the power of God's word and prayer and the spiritual influence in that. On the other side, this individual could say to me, he says, hey, listen, it's, it's okay. Look what's happening now. You know, isn't it funny? If you go to the book of Acts, uh, Peter's been arrested and he's in jail. And sometimes Christians, we miss this. You know, and, and the Christians are gathered together praying for Peter's release. God creates a circumstance. Peter's released. He goes and he knocks on the door and the servant girl goes, and he said, I'm here. And, you know, we, and the Christians weren't even aware of the power at that moment of the power of God to hear and answer our prayers. You know, we, we get ourselves into jams. We get ourselves into difficult situations. Sometimes it's not us. Sometimes it's someone else. And we pray, and we're praying. I don't pray. Listen, God, I need your help. I need, I got to have. And he, he intervenes and he helps. Could you, can you map, can you say that about your life? And then here's the other thing. How many times does God have to prove himself right in our lives before we just completely believe it? Because the more we completely believe it, the more we pray. It's contagious. We learn through the power of God and his wisdom and his sovereignty and, it, and it, his righteousness that I can trust God. You, could you imagine how many times Joseph had to pray in that Egyptian jail? 13 years he was locked up. 13 years. You don't think he prayed and prayed? He'd had a vision from God. His brother sold him into slavery. He'd been lied about in Potiphar's wife. And that man, 13 jails, 13 years. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And you know what? God answered that prayer. And he remembered it because when he was an old man, he said, listen, 
What man intended for evil, God intended for good. When you've learned to pray without ceasing, when you learn that whatever is happening in your life, I don't care what it is. It may be a, a sickness. It may be a financial setback. It may be anything. It may be the dissolution of a marriage. It could be anything. A brokenness of family, a health crisis, a division at a church. It could be anything. A marriage under duress, and we are fervently praying because James, what does James say? He makes this wonderful statement about what? Let's just read it. Verse 13 of chapter 5 of James, he said, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anybody among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and he has committed, and if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Where are you in that chart? Where am I? You, you suffered? You made it suffering? You've been cheerful? You've been sick? You're struggling in your faith? You've committed sins? Therefore, confess your sins for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on that earth for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Do you believe that? And do you not just read it, believe it to the point that it just doesn't matter what's going on in your life. I'm going to, this is happening. Oh, what does the word of God say? Pray about it. Help me to be obedient to your word. This is going on. Oh, I have a lot to be thankful. Oh, praise him. Rely on him. Cry out to him. Lean on him. Whatever it is. Don't separate any moment in your life from the reality of the truth of Scripture, the power of prayer, and the power of prayer, and the truth of Scripture. Satan would have you live otherwise. Satan would have you living according to your, the things that you do a whole lot of, the things that you're fervent about, the things that you're justified in. He wants you to find He wants you and I chasing our tails like a dog over things that do not matter. Making money, building a legacy, expanding my kingdom, justifying it and being right. I've, I've said this before, and I'm not picking on a man. It's just the truth. He wrote the song, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. His final words were, I'm losing. Solomon said it better. He said, it's just vanity. The things that we won't cease doing, we'll spend most of our time and we're fervent about it and we're justified in it. It's just vanity. But not our relationship with God that is based upon the truth of his word, tied to prayer, Prayer that is then based upon the truth of his word and becomes the functionality of how we live. How much do you pray? Do you pray without ceasing? Do you pray fervently, passionately? And then God's will. Your will, my will, our will. 
So we have here, and this is from Mark chapter 14. This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and let's just read it. Mark chapter 14. Let's just read it. Because it's worth remembering. Mark chapter 14. Verse 32, and they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to, to be very distressed and troubled. You ever been very distressed and troubled? Think about it. And he said, my soul is deeply grieved. Your soul ever been deeply grieved to the point of death? You ever been there? Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground. When's the last time you fell? I'm just serious. I want to challenge you. I want the scripture to challenge you. When's the last time you fell to the ground and began to pray? When's the last time? Maybe you've never done it. And he began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me. Remove it from me. Yet not what I will, but what thou will. We live our lives according in our flesh. We do a whole lot of stuff. We won't cease from doing it. We're fervent about a whole lot of stuff. It has to do with my will and my way. But the spiritual man... will be led to understand spiritually that everything in my life is according to God's will. All that I have, I owe him. I've done and accomplished nothing on my own in my own will. It's just because of him and his will. I'm going to be fervent and passionate about God in my relationship, no matter the circumstances. What did Job do? When he'd lost everything, he lost his children. And the conditions in which he lost, they were evil. And he fell down and he worshiped. He worshiped God. He so, was so passionate about his relationship with God that in the darkest moment of his life, he would worship God. He would say later on, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll see him. I'll be with him. Are you that fervent about your relationship with God? And finally, the last one. Go to Luke chapter 18. We don't have enough time this morning. If you, if you really want to see, huh, experience the power of prayer, you go back to 2 Chronicles, that chapter 32 and 33. Larry, you did a fantastic job of the reading of that scripture. Hezekiah was, it said, he was, he, he had pride in his heart. He had to humble himself because of the pride in his heart. But if you read about his son, Manasseh, it's the most tragic story in the Old Testament, maybe certainly in the top two or three. Manasseh was evil. He was evil. He sacrificed his own children. He made a mockery of the temple. God judged him. 
He took him into Assyrian captivity. They led him with the hooks, the bronze hooks. He was humbled because of his evil heart. A man appointed as king by God. And if you read through that 33rd chapter, as the powerful said, he passionately, humbly cried. The Hebrew is that he passionately and humbly cried out to God in repentance. And the very next verse is God restored him. I don't know anybody in here. If you think you've been done wrong, if you think you know somebody that's done something evil, if you, if you read Manasseh's history, you'd think, huh, you think Hitler's bad? You think Osama bin Laden's bad? Read about Manasseh. When I say the prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have, this evil, evil, evil king who made a mockery of God humbled himself, and God restored him immediately. God took him from an Assyrian prison and immediately restored him. But go to Luke in chapter 18. Justified. Ceasing and without ceasing and fervent and God's will or my will. And then this word justified. Luke chapter 18. I have used this on many occasions. Verse 9. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were right. And they were fervent about it. They were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That's what Satan does to us. When he can, just through the flesh, when he can convince you that you're right according to your will because you worked harder, yeah, you, 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 you've paid the price. Uh, you earned it. You are in Satan's wellhouse, man. Satan has you right where he wants you to be. He wants you to believe that somehow you've had something to do with what you own, what you have, and how you got it. Satan loves that. You read the great patriarchs in Scripture. You great, the great humble men and women in Scripture. They all understood something. And this is what they understand. Whether they were a king, uh, it, it didn't matter who. They understood. I, did, I didn't do nothing to get any of this. Huh. I, didn't get, I didn't do nothing. It was just God who blessed me, gave to me, secured me, watched over me, provided for me. But Satan, if you can, listen, if he can get anything, and it don't take much because it's the way our flesh is. If you read that list on that handout, the contrast between the spiritual and the carnal, when you read this is the way carnal people do things, you would immediately probably conjure up somebody bad in your mind. Here's the truth about that list of the carnal. I'm just going to be honest with you. That could be a pew-sitting, professing Christian. I didn't say Christian. I said professing Christian. There'll be many that say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. Uh-uh, I don't know you. It's going to happen. And churches and church pews are full of people like that. And there will always be an indication of why that church sitting, and it's right here, professing Christian is the way they are. And unfortunately, heartbreakingly, tragically, they will hear, depart from me, I don't know you. And it's based upon this one thing. About. The things we do a whole lot about and we're fervent about it and it gives us a reason to justify ourselves. 
And, and sometimes Christians are the worst. Christianity becomes, b- biblical obedience becomes a method and a plan to even justify ourselves even more. Don't think of a terrible, you know, foul mouth, drunk, <laughs> barroom brawler when you read that carnal list. First, examine yourself. The second, then, put it in light of people that are sitting in pews. Put it in light of that passage we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. And now put it in light of this. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he also told this parable in certain ones, in certain ones who trusted in themselves. God has no desire for you and I to trust in ourselves. Zero. You can't find it in one place of Scripture. God has no desire for you to trust in yourself. Satan has every desire for you to trust in yourself, and your flesh uh, wants to trust in yourself. But he teaches a parable about those folks. They were righteous and viewed others with contempt. By the way, how many people do you view with contempt? And then before we get into this final little reading, I'm going to ask you, by what right do you have to view anybody with contempt? If you can say, don't answer me. You talk to that man. Does that make your flesh burn? Get you a little angry? What right do you and I have to view anybody with contempt? I have never been able to anybody uh, give me an answer to that if they're a Christian, understanding what was accomplished by Christ on the cross. So two men went up into the temple to pray. This is about prayer. One a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. That's all that means. And the other tax gatherer. Somebody like David Canterbury. Were you listening, David? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all don't know it. He works for the Bear, uh, Brazos County Tax Assessor. So if you got any problems, no, never mind. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I was somewhere with David this week. I don't remember where it was. Somebody, and somebody asked me, jumped on him right about. He just, he just doing his job. But anyway. And uh, the other task gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. Pharisees, uh, and you don't have to have the title as a Hebrew Pharisee 2,000 years ago. We church is full of Pharisees today, and you can always tell who they are because they pray to themselves. <laughs> a lot of theology in this passage. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. He was right. He was fervent about being right. He wouldn't cease. (laughs) The without ceasing in his life was, look at me, look at me, look at me. I got it going on. And I can prove it. I can quote the scripture. I'm at church. I pay my tithe. I got it going on. And I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gap standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. I picture Jesus. We have him there looking up into the heavens. I don't have a problem with that, but when I read the passage out of Mark, the Greek is that he fell prone to the ground with his face, very much like this man here. Had every white to look to his father. And this man, very much like Jesus. But the tax gathering, standing some distance away. Some distance away. 
Mm. It's, it, it's got to touch you. Was even unwilling to lift up his eyes in heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. I want to ask you something this morning. As a Christian, when's the last time, and maybe it's never happened. If it's never happened, my heart breaks, and and I'll qualify that statement. I do believe churches all over the world are full of people who believe they did God a favor by accepting him as a savior. I really believe that. It's been preached, so I put the onus on the preachers. But I really do. I I, I really believe there are those who, who don't believe they were forgiven much. I really believe that. Who don't really understand the sacrifice and the price that was paid at that cross. Don't understand the the theology of Romans chapter 3. That there is no not one. Not one. Not one who has done good. You think you've done good? According to what? Isaiah says the, the righteousness of man is like a filthy rag unto God. But the church is full of people who have not ceased to give praise and honor to themselves, fervent in their ability to accomplish the will of God or or the the word of God, just like this Pharisee, and believe they're justified and believe they have the right to hold contempt for other men who won't respect the authority of the church, who return evil for evil and insult for insult, who are not patients with all men because they're passionate and fervent and justified. When's the last time if ever in your life, will you said to God, dear Lord, God almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner, not even able to look into the heavens. There's your spiritual tenets of the promise, the sealing, the leadership, the teaching, the guidance, the conviction and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, all in the opening statement by Paul to the Colossians. The only other thing, there's only one spiritual tenet that that has to do with prayer in the entirety of Scripture. Um, You know, we're to pray without ceasing. We're to be fervent in our prayer. We, we're to find justification being made right by God through the humility. Um, we will find the will of God in prayer. But the other one is just to be thankful. Be thankful. Now, take a picture of yourself and be honest because there will be a moment of honesty in your life. It may come in your final breath. It may come when the heavens open and Jesus reappears. It may come when the Lamb's book of life is open and maybe you fooled yourself into thinking somehow you've just, you're justified, you, or whatever. But there will be a moment of honesty. But before that last breath, ask yourself, how much of my life, is there just a whole lot of prayer going on? 
Am, am, am I growing so spiritually by the will and the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit that everything that's happening in my life, I can't stop praying. I can't stop praying. Every circumstance, I'm fervent about my prayer. I've been justified by God through the prayer that he has led me to a broken heart and a contrite spirit looking for his mercy. My will is only to do his will to benefit others. And I have so much to be thankful for. Is that, could you say that? Can you? I don't know. Can you say that? Or is this just, you know, this thing that we do once a year and then we do it again in Easter or maybe that's the totality of your Christianity. Or you believe you have membership at a church or something or whatever. We've fooled ourselves into thinking that we're in a right relationship with God. You can know. Just look at those five tenets on prayer and the biblical truth about prayer in your life. You can know. Examine yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our prayer this morning is um, we ask you to help us in every, every, everything in our life, Father, our marriages, our, our business, our finances, our health, our, our daily living, our dealing with those that may be our enemies, Father. Whatever it is, Father, our, somebody in need, please, Father, allow us to see it, know it in light of your word, and then pray and pray and pray. Father, help us to be fervent in our prayers, passionately believing in you to answer these prayers. Help us to find our justification because you have brought our heart to a broken place that we could humble ourselves to you. Help us to live only according to your will and, Father, then being thankful. Thankful for even the tragedies in our lives. Yes, Father, thankful for even the tragedies in our life. Father, we love you and we need you. And in prayer, in the name of Jesus, we, we pray to you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, I'd rather have Jesus this morning. Amen.